Now, I want to give a little caveat before we get into what we're talking about, because uh, we are focusing, this message kind of focuses in on parenting and on families, and yet there are, um, there's a significant um, amount of understanding that, that comes out of this uh, passage or learning that comes out of this passage for every one of us, no matter where you're at in life, married with no children, uh, single, um, young or old, it makes no difference. There is, and we're going to hit on some of those key things as we go through what we're talking about today. But I would encourage you to take notes. In the end, towards the end, we're going to use some material, um, actually just, just the outline that was by Bill Gothard on some of the essentials that come out of scripture, teaching the principles. So I think this is good information. Uh, there is other information in here that, that you're going to want to take notes on, but especially towards the end, when we clip through those principles of life, you're going to want to jot those things down because these are the learnings and the things that we need to pass on generation to generation. We were challenged, and this passage of scripture brings it to life for us, we're challenged to take the good news of Jesus Christ, to take the message that God has for his people, to every generation. The danger of not doing that is seen across America uh, and with each passing generation who neglects to pass on the things of God. The next generation doesn't think they're very important. And there are empty churches across the nation as a result of generational uh, fails, where we have failed to pass on the priorities and the passion of our life and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we don't want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of bringing the good news to uh, not only living it out in our lives, which is vital and important, but bringing it to the succeeding generations that are behind us as well. All right. So Deuteronomy chapter 11. Is everybody there? Okay, this is a participatory church, and so we'll try that again. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, is everybody there? Yes. All right, feel free to like say, hey, I'm here. Amen, thank you, appreciate it. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning at verse 18. And it reads, So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. When you are going to bed and when you are getting up, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, how long? As long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. Be careful to obey these commands that I am giving you. Show love to the Lord your God by walking in the ways and holding tightly to him. It's so important for us as parents to major on the majors and minor on the minors. The challenge is how in the world do we know the difference? How do we know the difference between something 
that is major and an essential and something that we need to really rally around and value as a family and something that may be on a minor scale and we just don't want to go to the deck on it. We don't want to fight all the way, uh, you know, to school and home and, and uh, to, you know, we just don't want to fight every single day about something that is not a major issue or something that we really should be focusing on. And the Bible teaches us the key to godly parenting begins of course, with godly relationships as parents. That it's so vitally important that you and I have a, a godly relationship. We have a live and a vibrant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is the key and the source of being successful in our parenting, is to demonstrate the priority of our relationship with God and to walk that out. Knowing the God of the Christian values is more important than just knowing the values. It was said of Moses, and we sang about it in this song just a moment ago, that, uh, that he knew God uh, in, in a personal way, not just the Ten Commandments that he was passing down. He knew the God of the Ten Commandments, and then he knew the Ten Commandments, right? It is a, it's a vast difference between us just knowing the rules, right, and knowing the God. And having a personal relationship with him. Exodus chapter 33 and 11 tells us about Moses. That the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. As a man speaks with his friend. Our worldview is dramatically changes when we know God in a personal way. When we have a personal relationship with him, then our whole world begins to take on a different kind of look. We begin to live differently as a result of having a personal relationship with God. It's where it's the divide between religion and, and having a personal relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ is that in religion, you know, we see this as, as, uh, as a few weeks ago, Zach was talking about the difference between sacred and secular. And, and uh, you know, we, we've, we allow the world to be divided in, in, the, in those ways religiously, right? This is sacred things. These are secular things. But when we have a personal relationship, all is sacred. Everything belongs to God. Every moment belongs to God. And, and there is no, no such thing as just having a secular side of our world and a sacred side of our world. This is the world that our God, who we have a personal relationship with, created. Yeah. He gifted yeah. us. When we're sitting at work and someone is in the cubicle next to us, we were uniquely designed to do what we're doing. There's nobody that can do it better than us because God designed us and built us and put inside us talents and gifts. And as we sat there hammering away on the keyboard or whatever it is that we're doing in our cubicles, we were uniquely designed by God and we are fulfilling our gift, our purpose, our mission for him in doing the work that we were given to do to set before us. When we know God personally through Jesus Christ, we grow daily to love his ways. We value what he values. We love what he loves. We hate what he hates. We treasure what he treasures. We hold material possessions in a loose fashion. We're not hanging on to them as if we're going to take them with us into eternity, right? We, we understand that there is that uh, little unique uh, stretch of, of po a point of eternity that we are living in that is, represents our life. 
but it goes on into infinity, and, and there is much more ahead of us than there is right now in the present in which we live. And out of personal relationship, these things begin to flow. We have this understanding about our world, and about life, and about our gifts, and about how we should live uh, in, inside of that. And that's why it's challenging, I think, when we try to live out what we're going to talk about in a moment, the essentials, and, and we don't have that personal relationship, that fire inside of us that moves us in that direction. Because then what we've done is we've turned the commands into rules, right? Yes. Instead of principles for how we live our life and how God created the world to work. Now there's a principle on the planet called, you know, gravity, right? And, uh, you know, we, we all believe in it. I have a, a, a niece that she put on uh, when she was like two or three, she put on these butterfly wings, uh, big wings that she had used, you know, when they had went on Halloween and she was a butterfly and she got up on the bunk bed on the second, you know, on the top bunk bed and she, she uh, jumps off and splat, of course, you know, gravity pulled her down and she was crying. She wasn't seriously injured, but she was crying. It hurt. She was stung, you know, from impacting the landing on the carpet there. And, and so her mom's in there and she's like, what, you know, what happened? And she said, I was, I was trying to fly. She goes, well, you can't fly. She says, well, I was flapping my wings, you know. <laughs> it's like all of us learn these lessons, don't we, sometimes that challenge the rules, the, 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 the laws of, of the planet. You know, we, we learn them sometimes the hard way. But God wants us through relationship to understand how the world works and to live peaceably in it and joyfully inside the boundaries of how God's created the planet. And the family that is not... And in, uh, it, it, the family is not an institution that was designed by man. It was created by God uh, to, and it, to benefit man. And man has been uh, given stewardship over it. And one of the primary principles of family is that it involves a commitment that is ordained by God for the lifetime of the members that are in that family. And the Bible teaches us that the husband and the wife are responsible for holding together um, you know, uh, the family unit and pointing them towards God. And that is current, you know, attitudes of our culture notwithstanding. And in our world, we, we have seen the, the ease over the, the recent decades with which people have approached the divorce benches across the United States. And although divorces is sought and it's granted much too easily in our society, the Bible tells us that God hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garments with violence, says the, host, uh, the Lord of hosts. And therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God established a covenant relationship with mankind through Abraham and it was uh, eternally fulfilled through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And God modeled that for us, that he wants in marriage for us to have a covenant relationship with each other and not a contractual relationship with one another. The contractual relationships of, our, uh, of earth, of planet earth, uh, they, they list the, the things that you will do and I will do. And if we are in agreement that I have done these things and you have done these things, we have a contract. I owe you, you owe me, and we will accomplish those things. 
But God never intended for it to be that way in marriage. He intended for it to be a covenant relationship, which means that it, it, we will do it regardless. We will do what we are called to do, who we are called to be, regardless of whether the other person does or not. So those who say marriage is a 50-50 proposition don't understand what God said about marriage. It's 100%. I come to the table giving 100%, just like I do in my relationship with, with God. I'm not going to give him 90% of me, 80% of me, 75.5% of me. I give God all of me, and, that, and he accepts that. He will not accept a partial gift, right? 99.9, God says, I want the other. I want the other part. I want everything. And that's what I bring into my marriage relationship, too, with my wife, is 100% of me. doesn't mean we haven't failed, we haven't made mistakes. We're 36 years along. Uh, we celebrated uh, this summer, and, and uh, you know, we, we have had our, our high points, our, our low points. We've had, you know, difficulties. But God sees us through. We both stay focused on Him, and He brings us through. And I can tell you that this, uh, the woman of my youth that God gave me, I thought, man, I could never love her more than I love her right now as I'm standing up at the altar and, and the, the minister is talking and, and saying things and we're not even hearing him because we're looking lovingly into each other's eyes, you know, and we are raptured in this moment. I was like, oh, this is going to be so wonderful. Our life is going to be great. And I can tell you that I thought I had all the love for her at that moment, 36 years later. I am still unpacking more and more how much I love her and how, how devoted I am to her, how much I am grateful to God for giving her into my life. And it just keeps giving and growing and growing and growing, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And God keeps doing that as we stay focused on Him, and we're 100% in the relationship. God intends marriage to be a covenant. Now, in his commentary on this passage that we just read uh, a moment ago out of Malachi, uh, Jack Hayford wrote this, God hates divorce because it is against his committed, loving nature and because of the damage that it does to people he loves, especially children. God attended your wedding. He listened to your vows. And he intends for all of us to keep them. The important thing for us to understand as parents, regardless of what's happened in the past, we're on number two or number three or whatever's happened in the past, the God wants, God wants us to understand in this moment, you as parents are the anchor of the family that God has given you. Right. You're the anchor, you're the stability. And when you are right in the relationship with God, who keeps us anchored in Christ Jesus, then the whole family is going to be anchored when the storms come and the difficulties come and the challenges come. When the marriage is healthy, the family is healthy, and the priorities are set. And so we can start talking about the essentials that we are to pass down. It is first and foremost, though, essential for us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And everything else we're going to talk about is really useless if God isn't where he belongs in our lives personally. Because we're, we're going to struggle to live out the principles we're going to talk about on a daily basis when God is not where he belongs and in his rightful place. And children will see right through us. We can say whatever we want to say about where God is 
and he's a priority, and we love God, and the family Bible sits in there, and you guys need to know, you know, we don't swear, and we don't do these other things, because, you know, we are Christians that children can see right through it. When we are not 100% committed and connected in our relationship with Jesus Christ, they see right through it. The passage we read a moment ago says, but be careful. Don't let your heart be deceived. So that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. The biggest danger for us is always that the priority of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ gets pushed down the ladder a little bit further for something else. It is the constant danger. It is something we struggle with uh, and, and we'll struggle with until we, we uh, meet him and, and until he finishes his work inside of us. It is a struggle uh, for pastors. It's a struggle for lay members. It's a struggle for every person is to keep God every day first. Paul said it was a struggle for him. He said, I die daily so that Christ can live through me. Every day I have to put this old man to death because every day he has a resurrection. <laughs> and every day he says, you know, uh, God didn't surely say that you should do this and that. Just like what he said in the garden to, to Eve. God didn't surely say you couldn't eat of all the trees in the garden. Oh yeah, we can eat of all the trees, just not that one. Oh well, God's just trying to keep that one from you because he's, he's holding out on you. Every day, all of us are facing the challenge, this temptation that God is holding out on us. We need to experience something. We need to do something different. There's something missing in our lives. God's been holding out on us. All of us face it. And so Paul said, every day I have to get up and say, goodbye, old man. Bam, you're dead. And, and let the new man in Christ rise up. It is a challenge for all of us. The primary purpose of Christianity is to get us in right relationship with God. Whatever else that we may make it, the priority of Christianity, the primary mission of Christianity is to make us more Christ-like. John saying, I must decrease and he must increase in my life. Please, wherever you see, Paul said, me, don't follow me. But when you see Christ in me, follow that. I'm heading towards him. I'm trying to. But whenever you look and say, oh, wait a minute. I've seen that in me and that's not Jesus. Don't follow it. Follow me as I follow Christ. Whatever else that we've made of this walk and relationship in Christianity, it is to make us more Christ-like. If God is not first in your individual life. He's not going to be first in your family's life. All broken people need a savior. Oswald Chambers um, suggests that we ask this question often, maybe daily. Am I allowing my natural life to be slowly transformed by the indwelling of the Son of God? God's ultimate purpose for each of us, is that his son may be glorified through our living. Our daily practice is to put God first and to model that in front of our families. That the priority of relationship, and I'll tell you, for all of the misgivings uh, and mistakes and things that were, were in my upbringing, one of the things that my parents often did was to show us that Jesus, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, was the most important thing. Yeah. 
when we were acting out, you know, and we were misbehaving at home, my brother and I, and later my sister, who is 11 years younger than I am, but my brother and I were pretty close in age, and uh, we were acting out in the household, my mom would, would say, you know what, boys, I haven't seen you down at the altar. <laughs> you haven't answered an altar call in months. She said, the next time we have church, I better see you at the altar. <laughs> and what she was saying to us was, you know, that we needed to have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And only Jesus could change what was wrong inside of us. The behaviors, the fighting, the attitudes. Only Jesus could really do that work. And so she, she wanted to see us have that personal relationship. All right. So we've talked a lot about this. Prioritize having the relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's clip through these principles for life. And again, I'm using a, an outline by Bill Gothard. And uh, so, but these are uh, things out of scripture and a way that we need to teach our families and live. The first one is called the design principle. The design principle. Our world needs this like, like nobody's business right now, right? People should understand their specific purposes for which God created them. We are living in a generation that is lost, that has no sense of their design, their purpose, and their mission. And one of the best things you can do for your household and your family is to teach them the design principle. Scripture spells it out over and over throughout the Bible. We're told that we are unique. We are loved by God. We were built to worship him. We were made to glorify him. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We have a plan. God has great things in store for us. And that sometimes, you know, step from going from step A, B, and C uh, doesn't lead to step Z that we want to go to. And it doesn't seem like it's anywhere near it. That, you know, it could be uh, somewhere, someone like uh, Joseph who his brothers, you know, hated and threw him into a pit. And he winds up, you know, uh, in, in, in uh, first of all, slave and then later in prison and he had had the dream that I'm going to be a ruler and people are going to be bowing down to me. How far removed can you get from being a ruler where people bow down to you and being in prison, right? And, and so if he had used earthly logic, if he had used the logic that you and I often use in our life, he'd say, I'm completely out of God's will and nothing's going good and I'm going to give up on God because I'm, this doesn't lead to where, where I dreamed that I was going to be. But guess what? Going into slavery, going into prison, led him to being the governor over Egypt and being a ruler over many people and being able to preserve his own family and take care of them and give them food and money back that they had paid for the food so they could buy food next time. God has a plan and a purpose and a mission that we often don't understand, but he has designed. And if you can pass that on to your children, it'll be a lifesaver to them to understand the design principle. God has designed me. I'm unique. I don't need to go to school and find out what the definition of me is. I don't need to discover whether there, there is a gender that matches what my thinking is. I need to know that God designed me and he's going to take care of me. Yes. He has a purpose and a mission for me. The second one is the authority principle. The authority principle. Inward peace the Bible teaches us results when people respect and honor the authorities, parents, governments, spiritual authorities. God is shaping and molding you 
And he's doing a lot of it through the human relationships that are in your life. That boss, four cubicles away, that is a thorn in your flesh. Or that employee that, that is uh, in the next office that's, that's an absolute thorn in your flesh. Is sometimes God's shaping something in you. Making something better in you. It is, it's, it's based, this authority principle is based on the idea that God gives direction, protection, provision through human authorities. God uses human authority sometimes to direct us. And sometimes the, the really bad boss that just got hired ahead of us is because God's moving us to something else. Right? And sometimes the really bad boss that, that God uh, hired in front of us is because he's shaping some really bad things that we don't want to own inside of our own life. Right? Accountability, integrity. Um, you know, uh, a, a sense of work ethic. There could be all kinds of things going on, but God wants us to teach and to practice the authority principle. There are authorities over our lives, and we are to submit ourselves to those authorities. My life as a pastor, as a minister, we um, often see, you know, there, there's, a, there's an anointing over um, spiritual leaders. There's an anointing over those that God's called to serve. Grateful for our elders and, and leaders in the church. There's an anointing over their office and their function. And, and we, we need to recognize that anointing. And, and listen to God speaking through them sometimes to us. There are times that I've said things to people that I would walk away and say, Wow, where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit to speak directly into their lives. I'm walking in an office as a pastor. I'm also human and I make mistakes. And sometimes because of my humanity, it's, it's challenging for people to listen to the work that God is doing through me to them. But I want to challenge you in the area of spiritual authority, in the area of, of uh, you know, uh, governmental authorities, in the, in the area of parental authorities, to listen and to let God speak and shape you through the authorities that he's placed around your life. The third one is the principle or the responsibility principle. A clear conscience results when people realize that they are responsible to God for every thought, word, action, motive. If you want to use this in your family, if you, you may have heard it, uh, it's not unique to me, but we raised our kids teaching them people will always do one of three things. They're going to lay blame, they're going to justify, or they're going to take responsibility. We want you to take responsibility. If you did something wrong, take responsibility. If you did something right, take responsibility. We want you to take responsibility. We want you to live inside responsibility. There is a peace of conscience that comes when we take responsibility for the things that are going on and, and when we are owning that for our own lives. And we, can be, uh, we, we only can be reshaped and, and fashioned and made better when we take responsibility. When we're laying blame and justifying it, and no change happens for us. You know, it's, it's, it's his fault. 
fault. You know, I did it because of this and that and something else. And so no real change is taking place in us. There's no ownership of it. But when we take ownership of what happened, then real change begins to happen inside of us. If you teach your children anything, teach them to take responsibility for the things that are going on in, in and around them. You got a D on the test. You got a D on the test. The teacher uh, is, is not horrible and did not, you know, is, is not, un, uh, you know, a person that you, no one could understand and hateful and mean. And, and I'm going to go down there every day and, and protest that teacher because my child got a D. We're going to say, hey, you got a D. We're going to start working on this. You're going to take responsibility for it. And I better see difference in your life. Yeah. You know, when I, when I was growing up, and many of you had this experience too, you know, we used to get paddled at school. And that wasn't the worst part of it. You know, like uh, I got in trouble. I got called in the principal's office directly disobeying <laughs> a, a law of the school. Uh, went into an area they called the jungle and we were building forts and doing that. We're not supposed to be in there. And uh, we, we did that. And so every one of us, he brought us in there, you know, pow, pow, bend over, grab your ankles. You know, that wasn't the worst part. I wasn't, you know, that that hurt. It did. It stung enough that, you know, but I really wasn't afraid of that. I was afraid when I got home. <laughs> My mom was waiting for me, man. The belt was off. You know, she just, I could see her through the picture window. You know, she's waiting. You know, it's like, <laughs> and that was, that was the thing, you know, it's okay. Better take responsibility. Better own this completely and tell her what was going on. And it always, you know, helped. It, you know, there was still a little punishment involved, but it always helped when I was honest about it. I didn't blame my friends, you know, I was just walking around and they drugged me off over there, you know, I didn't want to do it, but they made me do it, you know, so I didn't lay blame, I didn't justify, you know, well, we should be able to do that, that's a stupid rule, nobody, nobody ever obeys that rule, now, how come I got in trouble for it, nope, you know what I did, I walked in and I said, I did it, you know, I'm so sorry, and I apologize to the school, I apologize to the principal, mom, I'm apologizing to you, and it made things better, we learned, when we took responsibility. Teach your children the principal responsibility. The suffering principle. The suffering principle is uh, that people should, be, uh, should allow the hurts from offenders to reveal blind spots in their own lives. Genuine joy is a result of fully forgiving offenders. Instead of being marked for life by the things that have caused you to suffer, bullying, uh, whatever is going on, that we are able to kind of look at these things uh, reflectively and inspect, inspecting our own lives. And we are also able to forgive, recognizing that, you know, I'm not a perfect person. I may not have deserved anything that these people did or said or, or happened. But I cannot stand up on a, a bench and say, you know, I'm perfect. I've made mistakes, and I'm certain that for somebody, I was their bully. For somebody, I was a person that rejected them or ignored them. For somebody, I was a person that didn't tell the truth. For somebody, I was the person that hurt their feelings. For somebody, I was the person that was insensitive. For somebody, I was the person that was unloving. And when, I, when I'm able to understand the principle of suffering, that we're all going to suffer in life. Man, we're living in a culture right now where people are like, just let's, let's protect all of our children from suffering. Good luck. <laughs> you were born getting slapped on the butt. Suffering <laughs> is, is a way of life. 
You are going to suffer in this world. And the sooner you teach your children and, and the people around you that suffering is a part of life, but we can learn through it, we can grow through it, and we must be forgiving because we never want to be held uh, in, in some kind of an unforgiveness prison where our whole life is about something that happened to us in our past. And we have no future because we hold only to our past. Yes. Teach them the suffering principle. The ownership principle. The ownership principle says people are stewards and not owners of their possessions. When you teach people, the, uh, when you teach your children the uh, ownership principle, it changes the way they live in, in your home and, and in everybody else's home, right? We told our children uh, we were able to move into our first uh, brand new home built from the ground in, in, uh, 2000, in the year 2000. And uh, we were so proud, you know, and, and it was a long journey, and I won't go through all the things that we had done to save up and to get to this point, and we were so excited. It was in Phoenix, Arizona, new community, beautiful home, and they're building this home. And we told our kids what we told them when we lived in the old home, right? We, we lived in, 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 a, in a home that was 55 years old the day we moved into it, right? And uh, we told them the same thing in that home that we told them in this brand new home. This is not our home like what <laughs> live in this bedroom like you're a guest there's no food up here there's no water up here there's no drinks up here why dad because one day we're going to pack up and leave this house and we're going to give it to someone else someone else is going to come in here and they're going to share memories and have ideas this is just a blessing from God. We are stewards of this for a season, and we don't know how long. It might be one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, but we are stewards of this, and when our time is up, we're not, there's not gonna be any marks on the walls. <laughs> there's not gonna be any food in the carpet. There's not gonna be any stains that need to be cleaned upstairs on the, on the carpet. We eat and drink in the kitchen area right here where all the tile is and everything, you know? And this is, this is how we live together. And we're gonna take care of this place because we're gonna give it pristine to the next people who are going to come and inhabit this place. We taught them that in everything they did, that they were not owners. We helped them learn how to give away their, their, their clothing that they had taken care of and that was useful to someone else or toys that they had outgrown and didn't need anymore to clean them up and then to take them and give them away to someone else. These were things that we were not owners of, right? We were stewards of. We taught them that in their giving. We, we bought these little banks for them, and, and, uh, they, and the, the banks had like a, I think it was the church was in the, in the center of it, had the steeple and the cross or plastic banks. Uh, here it said bank, right? So you, you, put, you put money there, or you could put money in the church, or you could put money in the store. And so we taught them, you got a dollar, you know, you put a, you put a dime in, into, you're saving 10%, right? So the 80-20 principle. You're saving 10% here in the bank, and then 10% to God, and then 80 cents over here in the store. When you get enough money there, you want to go buy something? Great. Okay, you can do that. We were teaching them growing up the ownership principle. Num uh, the next one here, uh, the freedom principle. The freedom principle is enjoying the desire and the power to do what is right. Moral purity is the result of true freedom. 
The key to freedom is learning how to walk in the Spirit and appropriate the victory of Christ that has already been won through His death, burial, and His resurrection. We do not teach enough in our society, we do not teach our children how to value freedom and moral purity. How to, how to just enjoy living without uh, a, a, a conscience uh, that's killing you, that's destroying you uh, day by day because of, of something you did in your past that was immoral, uh, harmful, and hurtful. Listen, we want to teach you that you don't ever have to do that. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can live in freedom in Christ by walking with Him and obeying the principles. Principles of, uh, you know, that are involved in, in uh, living in that freedom. I can do everything everybody else is doing. I have that freedom. I'm completely free. Paul said, I'm free. If they are gathered together and they're hitting a bong, I can go do that, right? If, if they're gathered together and they're drinking in excess, I can go do that. That's freedom. We have that freedom. But he said, what I'm choosing to do in my, with my freedom makes all the difference. I'm choosing to live in moral purity. I'm making the choices where I'm not going to have the regrets of my past. I'm not going to have messes to clean up. I'm choosing to live in the freedom that Christ has given me. Everything is at my, I can do it all. But I'm making the choice in this freedom that I have in Christ to do what is best and to do what is godly. And the last one is the success principle. When people learn to think God's thoughts by meditating and memorizing scripture, they make wise decisions to fulfill their life purposes. We just came through a series on the wisdoms of God uh, in July. If you missed any of that, go back and, and listen. It's really, really good. A lot of guest speakers uh, in that, in that uh, month. Great, great messages. The success principle says that God knows best. And so I need to learn how to live life through God's word. I need to cherish and put into my heart the things that God uh, would have me to live out. David said, Lord, I, I want to hide your word in my heart. I want to memorize it, learn it, know it so that I won't sin against you. I want to know what is right, and I want to practice what is right. And the, way that, the best way for me to do that is to memorize your word and place it down inside of me to practice reading scripture and learning what you are saying, and, and then thereby being able to live that out and walk that out. And if the tempter comes, I will answer him like you answered him in, uh, when you were in the wilderness, when you were, uh, before your ministry started, like Jesus answered him. I will say, it is written, and I will tell him uh, what the Bible says, the balance of what is said there, instead of the half-truth that he's trying to present. Right. I'm not going to be a victim of a lie. I'm going to know the truth, and so there will be a clear difference between the lie and the truth, right? In our passage, there was the warning of being careful, being cautious. And it's reminding us that Jesus, and, and to teach our children, he's not your parachute. Don't live your life in a way that requires you will need to pull the Savior ripcord regularly in your life. Uh, your parachute is leaping out in risk and, and abandoning what you know is, is, is good and right for your life. 
Don't live your life uh, recklessly. Live life uh, out of the essentials. These essentials, these principles, these priorities set in family, set the boundaries and the fences of how we will live together as a family and how we will live in our community, how we will go to school, how we will work. They, they set all of those boundaries for us. You, you cannot teach what you will not live. But if you'll live it, you can teach design, authority, responsibility, suffering, ownership, and freedom. We live is, uh, the Christian life as uh, consistently, when we put it into practice on a daily basis and we're, we're living it out loud for everyone to see, it is his presence that enables us to live the Christian life. And the practice of his presence helps us. So coming together regularly for worship, that's what we're doing. We're practicing his presence, practicing living in his presence. Had struggles this week, Lord, living out uh, some of these essentials. I wasn't the best example as a dad or as a mom. And, um, you know, and so, God, I, I want to ask you to forgive me and to help me. And I want to talk to my children and tell them I wasn't the best example this week. And I want to be a better example for you. We will gradually become more and more like Christ in character, conduct, and conversation when we practice the presence of the Lord and we invite him to come in and be with us and around us on a daily basis. God has provided everything that we need. And all he wants for us to do is to live it out loud for our children to see, for everyone around us to see. And our responsibility is that we must worship him alone. I want to invite our worship team to come. And here's how I want to, to close out this morning. is We prayed over our teachers this morning. What a challenge it is. What a challenge they face today that is unlike any in our history. When kids are coming together and they're confused about so many of these things that we've talked about today, about their design, about what true freedom is, about authority, all of these struggles about success, what does success look like? And all of these struggles that, and, and we prayed over them today, but I wanna ask you to stand with me and I wanna pray over families. If you're here and you have um, children, um, young or old, we want to pray for you today. We want to pray God's blessing over you. You know, I've found as a parent, all our children are grown and out of the house. We still have a role to play in their life as long as we're here. It's changed a lot. It's not the same role that we had when they were younger, but we have a role in their life. So I want to invite you to come forward, parents. And if you have if your children in here, you want to bring them, bring them with you. We want to pray over you. We recognize the challenge that is before you and how difficult it is in the world in which we live. And I want to challenge us as a church family to be that church family. I am the product of uh, church families that loved me and uh, they adopted me, you know, so my parents were not having to share these principles and, and it was just them by themselves talking to me. I heard this from all of my church family who loved me and cared about me. I heard all of these things that we've talked about today, all of my life as I grew up, 
in my church family. My Sunday school teachers taught them to me. My youth pastors taught them to me. And, you know, we, we heard them uh, as young adults. They, but they, they came in and they touched our lives and they loved on us and they cared for us. And so I want all of you who are left here, if you would, come and stand behind these parents. Let's, let's put our hands on their shoulders and say, we're going to be with you in this, in this day in which we live, in this time and in, in struggle in which is going on. We're going to be with you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to lift you up. We're going to encourage your kids. We're going to get to know them. Father, we thank you for our parents and for their children. We recognize how challenging it is, God, in the day in which we live. And, and, and Lord, how difficult it is for parents. God, help us first to have that priority of relationship with you, to love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And second, God, I pray that you would help us to live out the essentials the principles of life, Lord, that we might show our children the way. We might teach them that they're stewards and not owners of anything. And teach them that there's an eternity ahead of them. And there's a plan of God in this moment in which they live. Lord, there's a plan for them now, not just ahead once they get out of college, but right now. There's purpose, there's mission, there's a plan, there's a design over their lives. You created them. God, we lift up our parents, we lift up our, our students, our, our young people, our children, Lord, that are in, here. We just ask that you would minister to everyone, touch each one. Lord, move in a mighty way. Just stir their hearts and lives, Lord, as we worship together. As we worship you and put you first in our lives.